welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Well, we're back in uh, Acts chapter 11, kind of. And if you would turn your Bibles there, today's uh, topic is going to be repentance. And uh, in the early chapters of Acts, we remember hearing Paul calling people to repentance at Pentecost. And then later again, Peter is seen in front of the Sanhedrin or the council, the high council, and saying, uh, God has granted repentance to all of Israel, uh, true Israel anyhow, believing Israel. In his second sermon, uh, after healing the lame, bur- uh, lame beggar in chapter 3, he again uh, called people to repent, saying, Christ is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance. And on those occasions, when we were at those passages Working through the book of Acts, I stated that I would treat the topic of repentance when we reached uh, Cornelius and his household and in Acts chapter 11. And well, here we are. We're here today. uh, Acts chapter 11 and verse 18, we read, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So today is going to be a bit of a topical sermon uh, originating from that very statement God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Uh, as we conclude uh, later today, uh, I'll share a couple of verses from the prophet Isaiah concerning the blessing of repentance. And uh, I've titled today's message, if you looked in your bulletin, the, the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Now, I realize that isn't uh, a real snappy title, but it is a true title. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. Uh, For repentance is a work of God uh, within you. Now, in our day, the the concept of repentance, the idea of it's been become an obscure uh, term. And uh, because so many wonder what repentance means, uh, we need to start by giving it a little bit of definition today. Uh, so we'll begin with some understanding. It's little use of us entering into a, uh, a lengthy discussion about repentance without first understanding what the word means. The Greek term that we normally translate repent or repentance, it, it, it means a reconsideration of things. It's thoughtful. It's a changing of the mind. And that changing of the mind in repentance, it it isn't just over one thing. Like, I've changed my mind that I'm not going to have sausage, but instead bacon for breakfast. That's not the concept of repentance. Uh, It's not just a one-time change of mind. Uh, Repentance begins an entirely new track of thinking in our mind. And um, 
that new way of thinking in our mind prompts a change of course in our life that abandons our, for, our former behaviors in favor of those which are new. So uh, genuine repentance, true repentance then affects, uh, really alters both our minds and our actions. Both our thoughts and our behaviors. Famously, Proverbs 23 verse 7 states, As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Think about that. It's a mind bender. Our thoughts and behaviors are inseparably linked. As a man thinks, so he is. Therefore, a change of mind through repentance uh, will result in new behaviors associated with that repentance. It is then not surprising to find in Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul, he is summarizing the breadth of his ministry over many years, over decades, in a courtroom defense that he is giving before King Agrippa. And he states to that courtroom and Agrippa, he says, quote, first in Damascus, remember we know that Paul started there, first in Damascus and also in Jerusalem, then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, essentially as Paul, Paul is saying, everywhere I preached, this is what he preached. Acts 26 verse 20, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. So it goes without saying, your deeds are not going to change significantly if your mind hasn't changed. Sure, there's, there's a potential through discipline, through through. Threats of punishment, to be able to moralize someone to a degree. Our government does it, uh, uh, parents do it with their children. There's an attempt to put structure around and moralize to a degree. Yet, if the mind hasn't changed, behavior will have to be constantly monitored, or the behavior will simply regress back to what it was. But if the mind is truly changed, if the mind has been permanently changed, the accompanying deeds will permanently change. And therefore, when true godly repentance at heart has occurred, uh, through the Holy Spirit, of course, the regenerating of the heart and of the mind, uh, you will observe that both the mind... And the deeds have changed together. Repentance characterizes salvation then. Uh, A repentance that characterizes true genuine salvation does not only occur in the mind. You will also see it in the deeds. That kind of mind will not need continuous surveillance from structure outside of it, uh, nor threat of discipline. For when there occurs a true change of mind, 
Outward behavior becomes self-governing from within. Folks, repentance is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful for society that there can be, there can be behavioral governance from within rather than having to have structure to always control a mind bent on disobedience and destruction. Today, however, the idea of repentance in Christianity or among Christianity, it's often been oversimplified. It's been regarded as you know, just a personal and a, and a hidden change in the mind. Repentance is just something you've changed in your mind uh, about thinking about who Jesus is. Just think differently about Jesus. Uh, change your mind about him. Well, in part that is true, but it's only part true. That, that, that is an un, insufficient understanding because for true repentance unto salvation to have occurred, it must also result in deeds that correspond to that change in mind. And that includes a a turning away from previous patterns of wicked behavior. Parents, you're asking the question in your mind right now, uh, should you be concerned about your child's outward behavior? The answer is yes. Yes, no matter what age they are. And I know many of you are. It's a reflection of what is in the mind. Repentance is not merely a change of mind about Jesus that remains private, a private faith hidden in the heart. Remember, Paul stated before Agrippa that those who repent and turn to God, that that change in mind will be manifest, he said, in deeds appropriate to repentance. There, there, there must be tangible results. I hear feedback from many of our young adults today, our young adult Christians, especially in their 20s and, and in their earlier years, some single, some married, and, and there's a lament among those whom, whom I have confidence that they are true Christians, and, and they state to me that that people in their 20s today who claim to be Christians, their behavior, it's being lamented to me from young people because I don't have a clue what people in their 20s do. I mean, I'm, I don't know. So I have to go off from what other people say. But they tell me that behavior among those professing Christ in their youth, young adulthood, their behavior is no different than the world that surrounds them. How do you process that? True repentance is God's spiritual endowment. He gives it within you. It results in corresponding deeds of righteousness for His glory. In that respect, it's much like saving faith. James said that it, meaning saving faith, uh, it does not and cannot exist and unless that faith is accompanied by works. Because faith without works, it's, it's just dead. 
so also with repentance. Uh, in fact, some, somewhere somebody said once, uh, you know, repentance must bear its fruit. Uh, oh, that, that's John the Baptist. You, you got to love John the Baptist. He, he's the forerunner to the Messiah. He's given, given the, the duty to bring all mountains low and to, to fill valleys and to clear the way for the path of Israel's Messiah. And, and when you think about it, John the Baptist was really the first who had the opportunity to preach Christ. Do you know he also preached repentance? He did. He did. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 1, this is when John was waist deep in the Jordan. Just see him there. And we're told that he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And a day came when John was approached by Pharisees and Sadducees, and, and he said to them, oh, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Like that's how Josh and I open on youth group every Wednesday night. <laughs> Who warned you to flee of the wrath that is to come? And as John the Baptist said in Luke 3 verse 8, we must tell one another and our children, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That's what John the Baptist said. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Language scholars tell us that uh, that statement is made in the Greek errorist active imperative tense. What does that mean? All we need to know from that is that once you bear fruits of repentance, you must keep on doing it. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a single confession before a congregation. It is a changed mind, a mind changed by God that keeps on bearing fruit. In other words, we are to keep on bearing fruits of repentance. It's not once and done. It's almost like you become a whole new creature for Jesus. And that old you passes away. You bury it making way for the new life in Christ. The only rational conclusion then is that repentance, at least that is indicative of salvation, uh, repenting, yeah, it's not a one-time you know, feeling sorry that you've been bad, getting wet in the waters of baptism, and then abusing God's grace like the devil for the rest of your life. That is not true repentance. Rather, to repent, it's, it's a change of thinking that initiates a whole new way of life, and, and that way of life incrementally and increasingly bears fruit throughout that life. For a human illustration, imagine a wife finds her husband unfaithful in some way might be financially or some other moral failure, whatever you may have. In, in some way, he, he's caught cheating. 
And he says he's very sad about this and, and appears genuinely remorseful and says to my wife, I'm sorry. Then they reconcile. But then the next week he does the same thing again. And he's caught again. And, and the cycle of behavior repeats itself again and again. Uh, is that indicative of repentance? No. Why? It's because the behavior has not changed. Such a wife would realize, you know, no matter what words come out of his mouth, his mind has not changed because his behavior has not changed. It's only words. She could almost say, This man honors me with his lips, but his heart is far from me. And why? It's because a true change of heart will bear behavioral fruit in life. What then might true repentance look like for a Christian? What are some examples of that uh, fruits in keeping with repentance? Well, returning to our old friend John the Baptist, uh, that's, that's exactly what the crowds asked him. Exactly what they asked him. Uh, Luke 3, verse 10, they say, John, what shall we do? So John describes for them some of the juicy fruits of repentance. And here they are. You know, hey, buddy, you've got two tunics, Give one of them to the guy over here who has none. You over there holding the two bags of groceries, you do likewise, do the same. (laughs) Hey, you, you the guy in the fancy suit, play fair on your taxes, all right? And the big guy in the back, got got the armor on wearing the sword, stop taking stuff from the guy who's smaller than you. Then he tells another, be content with your wages. These are some ideas of repentance from John the Baptist. And and we know there must have been some eye rollers in the crowd. Listening to John who are mumbling, yeah, but why? What's in it for me? Because John the Baptist answered that very question, why? He said this, Because, quote, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And in that same context and discussion of repentance, John declared, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Consequently, our our prospect of escaping the unquenchable fire of God's justice, it's tied directly to bearing fruits in keeping with repentance. Folks, this makes bearing fruit of repentance 
For, for the Christian, fruits of repentance, it's not a dreadful, it's not a wearisome duty that we have, but a, but a fountain of reassurance proving we are Christians. You know, fruit indicates we're not dead branches. And according to Jesus, in the parable of the vine and the branches, uh, dried up branches that don't bear fruit, he said that they're, they're gathered up together and they're put in a pile and they're burned. You know, bearing fruit is a, a very good thing, is a very encouraging thing for us when we see it in our lives. According to John the Baptist, fruit becomes evidence of a whole new way of thinking about life. Life has changed for the person who has been granted the gift of repentance. And it ensures that we are on the way to eternal life. In fact, in our passage from Acts 11 and verse 18, repentance is described as the repentance that leads to life. And then God is portrayed as the one who grants it. God, God grants repentance. He, he is the source of, of every good gift, everything good and repentance, friends. It, it's very, very good. A changed life is very good. Embrace it. Own it. The repentance that leads to life is a gift from God. Therefore, it's not burdensome to us. Our Lord's brother James writes in chapter 1 and verse 17, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In an exercise of His will, He gave spiritual birth to us by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. Every good thing given, every perfect gift comes from God. He grants it. It's good. The repentance that leads to life, it, it's one of those gracious gifts from God. It's evident among those who are chosen by Him, who are beloved by God. And here's where the, the rubber really tears up the asphalt. What should we do for someone we love who displays evidence that uh, they clearly do not possess the gift of repentance? Those who remain immersed in sin. Ouch. You know, should you and I try to find ways to, to reassure them that they belong to Christ? Yeah, hey, hey, don't forget that prayer that you said at summer camp, you know, back in 1982. Or, or remember when the pastor called you forward that time after you got discharged from the army and you went forward before the church? Or, or say something like, you know, we got good doctrine and we're an eternal security church, which we are here. Um, so if you professed it once before the church, you're saved, and you must be confident throughout your life, uh, irrespective of fruit that you don't bear. 
Is that actually good theology? Should we, as Christians, default to reassuring professing Christians whose deeds are habitually and uncharacteristic of repentance, should we continue to reassure them? Why not? Because their behavior reveals their minds are not actually changed. Paul the Apostle kept on declaring everywhere, again Acts 26 verse 20, that people should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Repentance is not optional for the Christian. I I would suggest perhaps, I better take a drink. You ready for this? I would suggest that perhaps we should abandon our desires of comforting and reassuring people who do not display a life characterized by deeds appropriate with repentance. Perhaps stop reassuring them that they're Christian when their life does not bear fruit. Rather, we should be reassuring that it is our deeds appropriate to repentance that assure us that we are Christians. I don't know what you look at in assessing your life and your life change, uh, your Christian salvation. Personally for me, the way that I am reassured that I belong to Christ is that my mind has changed and as a result, my deeds have changed. Not to perfection, but the mind has changed and the deeds have changed from before the time I was a Christian. This provides me with a very high confidence that I belong to Christ, even with my faults that I still carry with me. If my behavior did not consistently reflect a Christian walk, I would rightly lose all reassurance. It would be right for me to lose reassurance. So why would I expect someone from the church to come alongside and reassure me. You know, as a pastor, I'm just about tired of trying to find ways to reassure people whose lives are not characterized by repentance. Makes me weary. No change. So, um, You're living a willfully, wantonly, and unrepentant life of sin. Might be greed, might be lust, might be anger, slothfulness. I can't see the heart. Can't see that. That's not my my duty. Uh, But I also cannot reassure such a person they're saved. Instead, our scripture reading from 2 Timothy 2 and verse 20 
revealed to us that we should give them gentleness of correction. In that text, Hymenaeus and Philetus, if you look into that passage, they'd proven themselves out as false teachers. They had that talk that was spreading like gangrene around the church. Um, it was spreading ungodliness. Actually, Paul describes it as wickedness in the local church in Ephesus. And that church, you know, is like most churches, I'm sure, it contained a mixed bag of honorable and dishonorable vessels. Usually in any gathering, uh, there is a mix of believers and unbelievers. Uh, I imagine it's the same here today. I don't know what the ratio is. Nevertheless, Paul assures Timothy of this fact. It is this, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows. (laughs) And then he says, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. You know, does that sound anything like, you know, Timothy, don't forget to reassure all of those who persist in an unholy and profane life, that nonetheless they belong to Christ? No, that's not what we see. So what do we do? What we do, what we do is reassure everyone that they are given an opportunity In 2 Timothy 2, verse 21, that anyone who cleanses him or herself from these things, he or she will be a vessel of honor. That's an opportunity. The person who has been cleansed from these things, who's been cleansed from the plagues of the past, is given reassurance that they are now the Lord's vessel of honor. For those who have not or refused to cleanse themselves, we're given further instructions. In verse 24, we're not to become quarrelsome. We're to be kind. We're, we're able to teach, we're told. Um, we're to correct all who remain in opposition to instruction, that's verse 25. Um, and why do we do it? There's a reason that we give correction. Verse 25, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So have a sober talk with people. Kind correction, gentleness in the church, reason with people. Be rational with what, asking what do we see in Scripture? You know, Paul doesn't say, you know, just remain silent. You know, just pray that they will repent and come to their senses. Don't approach them. No, no, rather correct them with firm but gentle correction. And perhaps then God may grant them repentance. 
It's through correction from the word that they may come to the knowledge of the truth and thereby come to their senses. We don't reassure people dwelling in sin that they are Christian. Instead, we confront them with the gentleness of correction from God's word. And through instruction, God might decide to grant them the change of mind, resulting in righteousness and repentance. You know, when you think back, this this is what happened with every single one of us who have come to know Christ. At one time, you know, our lives were crooked. We were deviant. We were broken. You, know, you might not have been an axe murderer. You know, perhaps you simply did everything in your power to keep mom and dad up late on Saturday night in hopes that you'd be able to skip church on Sunday. I don't know. Not everyone displays the same excess of deviance. What's in the mind? You know, for some, it's, it's as simple as, you know, I just don't have any desire to go to church or hear God's word or sing praises to Jesus. I just don't want it. I don't want to worship the God of Israel or Jesus. Then you might graduate from high school. You might leave your parents' home. You might never step foot in church again. But then somewhere along the way, someone spoke into your life offering a little bit of correction. Said, don't you think you're on the wrong path? Do you really want to keep living with someone who expresses no desire to commit to a lifetime with you or to a family? Is work all there is in life? Aren't you already making enough money? Besides, is not life more than food? And is the body not more than just finding more clothes and buying more shoes? Is storing up more possessions in this world really going to satisfy that void that is in your heart? How are you going to answer to God about all the sin that keeps piling up in your life? What would your Google history reveal is truly in your heart? Do you really sleep with peace at night? The course that you've been pursuing all of your life is not satisfying to you. And you don't know what to do. You ever had anybody speak into your life? Saying, I can see you are in ruin. And you don't know what to do. That's love, folks. But then, as if you heard it for the very first time in your life, you hear Jesus say, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
and you decide that is what I will do. And you have a change of mind where you think this world can never satisfy. I've tried it. Again and again, I tried it. I've accumulated so much and the increase of sin leaves me empty. And at one point in your life, you determined, I'm going back. I've changed my mind. I'm turning around. I'm going to repent and return so that all my sins will be wiped away and in order that the times of refreshing may come. Because I love Jesus who died for my sins and rose again. And from now on, I will follow Him and Him alone for the rest of my life. That is the answer, friends. That is the act of repentance. Romans 2 verse 4 of what you've heard today. Romans 2 verse 4 It is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. What a wonderful thing. What a blessing to repent. (laughs) Folks, forgiveness of sins is a whole new way of life in Jesus. Begin to enjoy things that are pure, things that are holy. Battle against sin that gnaws at you. You sleep on your pillow with a clean conscience at night. You can't put a price on that. You don't worry about when the phone rings or when there's a knock on the door as to whether somebody found out or not. Instead, you've given your life to Christ and you've changed your mind. As a man thinks, so he is. I'll close with a few words from the prophet Isaiah, who spoke to Israel by saying, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Then Isaiah warns everyone listening to be willing. Because God is gracious, but he is also just. Saying, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all of those who long for him. Let's pray. Father, what amazing grace and how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, and now I see. Amen.